0: There, and as in all of Paul's writings, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff to cover, and so first, I one more announcement. Sure, we got one more announcement here. One more announcement. Here. Sorry, I'm a bit of a mess this morning. This is from uh, Christmas Child. This is a magazine showing you all the, a lot of the results and articles, and uh, probably hearing from the kids and the people down there. This art, uh, this we only have one. It would be downstairs in the fellowship hall if you want to thumb through it and just what a blessing your gifts have been. And please don't take it home. We only have one, so feel free to do that. I'll be down in the fellowship hall. Thank you. Okay, so open up the First Thessalonians chapter two, and as you're turning there, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Father in Jesus' precious name, we just love you, Lord, and we pray, Lord, that uh, you'd help us to serve you in the good days and to serve you in the bad days. We pray, Lord, that you would empower us with your spirit to live for your son and to build his kingdom and not to live for ourselves. We pray that we would build your kingdom and not our own and live to glorify you and not ourselves. And, Lord, as, as we study this passage, I pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man Our culture and our world are filled with fake news. The people that came here today, they're part of the remnant. They didn't get up early and get all washed up and drive out here to hear fake news. They came to hear the word of God proclaimed. So I pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man Cancel the fallible man and anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your infallible, your inerrant truth. I pray, Lord, you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word. I pray that we would just not just hear it and just learn it with head knowledge. We would take it to heart and that your spirit would empower us to apply these truths to our lives so that we could be pleasing to you, so that on that day, when your son, the lover of our souls, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, when he takes his stand upon the earth, he'll embrace us and tell us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Until that day, empower us to be your people, We thank you that you are our God, faithful and loving God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and remember, Paul gave a blessing of joy and peace to the Thessalonians. He's kind of uniting Jew and Gentile in that blessing but it's still Jewish at its core. It's the old priestly blessing. And now we're a kingdom of priests. And as Paul prayed that blessing upon the Thessalonian believers, he would pray that upon us as well, that we would have God's uh, joy, his peace. You look for joy and peace anywhere else but King Jesus you're going to be disappointed. You know, I mean, if you got as much money as Bill Gates, you might not be disappointed until you breathe your last breath on this planet. But it ain't going to be good for uh, Billy Gates at that point. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Forfeit his soul. We want, We need eternal, you know, Solomon tells in Ecclesiastes, that God put eternity in our hearts. I've had a lot of dogs over the years, a lot of good dogs. You know, if dogs could go to heaven, a few of them went to heaven, and a few of them didn't. And uh, but I had a lot of dogs over the decades, and um, um, and now I'm trying to think why I brought that illustration up, and uh, but I did. I had a lot of a lot of dogs over the years, but oh yeah, but. None of my dogs, just trust me on this, okay? I'm not, I'm not a mind reader, but just trust me. My dogs didn't think about eternal issues, okay? My dogs didn't think about, like, gee, is there life after death, okay? They just tried not to die. But we human beings, Solomon says, God put eternity in our hearts. And so anything less than eternal joy and eternal peace will not give us, will not satisfy and that eternal joy and that eternal peace comes from the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, nowhere else. So I'm I'm praying that you, you're not getting your joy and your peace from the American government, okay? I mean, it's time to wake up and smell the coffee, okay? Our leaders don't love us anymore. We're being sold out to a global state, which for all we know could be the kingdom of the Antichrist. So... Uh, um. You want joy, eternal joy. You want peace, eternal peace. You go to King Jesus. Nowhere else. And now, you know, Paul thanked the Thessalonian believers. When's the last time you thanked God for your fellow believers in the Lord? You know, there's probably some of you that get on each other's nerves. I know with... My pleasant personality, I probably never get on any of your nerves. And, and um, with my New Jersey hospitality and my angelic voice. But um, when was the last time we thanked God for each other? You know, I'll, I'll be honest. You, if I ever got locked up for preaching the word and they threw me in solitary confinement, man, I'd miss you people. I'd miss my brothers and sisters in Jesus. And um, but Paul thanked God for them. And now he's going to defend his ministry to the Thessalonians. Man, I, I don't know how, why did Paul always need to defend his ministry? I mean, to the Corinthians, he had to defend his ministry because those guys, I mean, they were spiritual morons. They would, uh, you know, you get a false preacher in town and they're all ready to embrace that. But Paul the apostle, they got problems with him. But But the Thessalonians... The ones who became believers, not the Thessalonians who rejected Christ and wanted to kill Paul, they were serious. They accepted his ministry, but Paul still felt the need to defend his ministry. And, um, and so we're going to see that in verses 1 through 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul defends his ministry. Look at verses, you know, verses 1 to 4. He says it's a ministry. And by the way, ministry means serving people. And ministry means serving people with the gifts, the abilities that God has given you, okay? So don't tell me about your ministry if you're not serving people. Now, we've had people in here that, that health challenges and hospitalized and assisted living, and they were still serving people because they were prayer warriors. But one way, shape, or form, if you're in ministry, you're serving people. If you're not serving people, you're not in ministry. Now, Jesus tells us, pick up the cross and follow him in the path of obedience, okay? Deny yourself, pick up the cross. That cross is your ministry. And for some of us, it might mean a literal cross. It might mean a tragic death. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I just got pessimistic from Jersey, but you know, I've been writing on this stuff since the 1980s. The decay of a nation, need for national revival, the coming death of Western civilization. and um, But uh, I'm telling you, you love people. Tell them you love them. You know, I mean, for the most part, the guys will tell the guys they love them, and the gals will tell the gals that you love them. You don't want to give anybody the wrong idea. But, um, but that next time you see a brother or sister in the Lord, that, that might be the last time you see them. We just don't know. And our leaders want to make it, I'll be honest, our leaders want to make America more like China. And so uh, let people know that you love them. But Paul defends his ministry. What's your ministry? He said he's got a ministry of boldness and integrity. Some of us made us more bolder than others, okay? But, um, But Paul had a ministry of boldness and integrity, a ministry of love and unselfishness and a ministry of blameless behavior. I wish we could say that about all our leaders today. You know? On a good day, maybe, maybe I could some check some of these boxes. But, you know, what about on a bad day? Well, I'm a little grumpy Pastor Phil Fernandez. Maybe my ministry is not so blameless and not a ministry of love and unselfishness. Maybe it's not a ministry of boldness. Maybe God's saying, get out there and share the gospel with this guy. Maybe it's not even a ministry of integrity sometimes. Okay? But Paul had it all, and um, and so I'm glad he defended his ministry. So verses 1 to 4, let's look at that. Paul defends his ministry. He said, my ministry was a ministry of boldness and integrity. I'm telling. We need, we need guys and gals to serve the Lord and serve people with way more boldness. In America, we, we're not bold enough. But before we get bold, we better be people of integrity. Let me tell you, if the world wants fake news, believe me. Uh, CNN, there's all these stations out there. They can do a lot. The media media and social media, they can do a lot better job giving out fake news than we can. But what we have, they don't have. And what we have, we need to share to them. But we got to be people of integrity to proclaim a message of integrity, a message of truth. And we need boldness to do it because you're not going to get popular preaching Jesus. You want to get popular? Forget about Sunday morning going to church. Just hang out at the bars. Fridays and Saturday night, you might get popular, okay? We're not here to get popular. We're not here to please man. I don't know about you. The first 21 years of my life, I wanted to be popular. I lived for the applause of man. And when I got saved, I realized, man, what a, What a big idol that needed to be smashed. So now we serve King Jesus, but we need a ministry of boldness and integrity like Paul had. Look at what Paul said in the first four verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Wouldn't that be a bummer if Paul had it right? You know, our coming to you was in vain. None of you guys even believe. Nobody's growing in the Lord. He said, look, it wasn't a waste in time. Our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, they got locked up in a Philippian jail. You get locked up in a Philippian jail at midnight, what do Paul and Silas do, Paul and Silvanus? They sing praise songs. If I was there with them, you know, there would have been two guys singing praise songs and another guy just crying like a baby next to them. He said, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, about 100 miles away from Thessalonica, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. When it got hot in the kitchen, Paul got bolder. How many of us will shut up? By the way, I'm not saying that God's called us all to be loud. It might get hot in the kitchen, and God might, might call you to work on behind closed doors and start building the underground church, okay? I'm a loud guy, but believe me, we need, we need quiet, uncompromising Christians. But there's got to be some kind of boldness if you're going to preach Jesus in a culture that hates our king. Paul said... For our exhortation, our encouragement did not come from error, from falsehood, or uncleanness or sinfulness, nor was it in deceit. Paul saying that we, you know, Paul, unlike CNN, he wasn't peddling fake news. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. That's kind of scary. So, I mean, we're not out there to outwardly please men, to look good before men, okay? We're trying to please God who tests what? Our hearts. He can give a million dollars to the poor. If you're doing it to make yourself look good, God's testing your heart and say it's the wrong motive, okay? Um, We want to obey God from the heart. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody who does that will go to heaven. Problem is you can't do it without the indwelling Holy Spirit empowering you because the human heart is deceitful beyond all things. So Paul said, look, I'm going to defend my ministry. I have a ministry. I serve people with the gifts God has given me. You know, are we serving people with the gifts God has given us? God's given us all gifts. Your gifts might be different than mine. I'm glad that that your gifts are different than mine. I probably would be preaching to an empty building right now, okay? And, um, but Paul said, I had a ministry of boldness and integrity. He said, my work in Thessalonica was not in vain. Why? Because just within a year, there was a growing, thriving church. of Genuine believers in the midst of suffering. He knew that his work there in Thessalonica bore fruit for God's kingdom. And he went there after Paul and Silas. Just read Acts chapter 16. They suffered persecution in Philippi. They got locked up in a Philippian jail. We find out there too, by the way, I overlooked it for a while, but even Silvanus, even Silas was a Roman citizen. Because Paul said, you didn't didn't just beat up one Roman citizen, you, you beat up several Roman citizens. Locked them up, beat them up, whipped them without a trial, threw them in a Philippian jail, and so what do Paul and Silas do? They, they sing praises to Jesus. What you can do if the government comes knocking on your door and starts pulling you out of your house? Don't they, oh, they would, America can't do that. Well, we're about to set history. We're about to be the first former president ever arrested. You think they, they can do that to Trump? They can't do that to you? I don't know about you, I don't have his lawyers, okay? Um, and I'm telling you, it's we got crooks. I mean, it's almost a qualification to be a politician. And you want to go real high on the left or the right, you got to pretty much be a lying crook. But as long as you got the deep state backing you, you're all right, but um, I'm telling you, A godless regime knocks down your door and pulls you out and separates you from your family for preaching Jesus. You're going to be able to sing praise songs in a Philippian jail? A cold, damp night? I don't know. But I, I do know this. If I'm not singing praise songs to Jesus on a nice, comfortable warm night when I go to bed, what makes me think I'm going to sing praises to him when it gets hot in the kitchen? You might be thinking, oh, Pastor Phil, you're a nut. Well, maybe I'm a nut, but sometimes God speaks the truth through nuts, okay? This is not grandpa's America. Same gospel, different culture. And, um, but they're still bold enough. They say, hey, look, you know, they beat us up in Philippi, so what do we do? We go to Thessalonica and we're bold enough to preach there. And despite more opposition. So they want to whoop on him there. So he had to flee there. Paul and his team, they were approved by God and they were entrusted with the gospel. I have to confess, when I used to read this as a a new believer? I'd be like, hey, there believers in their Gospel. Okay, move on to the next passage. Maybe there's something important in the next passage. Paul's just talking there. Paul and his team, Silas and Timothy, they were approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. Just talk. You realize. If Elon Musk walked up to you and gave you a billion dollars and said, just hold on to this for me for a week, okay? He entrusted you with a billion dollars. Wouldn't you be a little nervous? When God's word says that God entrusts those who are approved by him, those are believers who live consistently, with their beliefs, who live for Jesus? God entrust us like He entrusted Paul and his team, he entrusted them with the gospel. You think the gospel's not worth more than a billion dollars? I mean, why would Jesus say, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And we think, oh yeah, well, no big deal. God entrusted me with the gospel. Was the gospel? The gospel's the keys to the kingdom. That'd be like Elon Musk saying, hey, my biggest mansion, I'm sure he's got more than one. I've only got one, 1,100-square-foot mansion. But, but Elon Musk takes his biggest mansion and gives you the keys. Look after it for me. And What did God give you? What did God give me? What did God give fishermen like Peter. gave us the keys to the kingdom. And you look at the news, and all of a sudden, it's just like, um, again, it's not Grandpa's America. I was watching a detective show, Cold Case Detectives, and they really talked highly of this guy who was about to retire and took care of his mom. They lived in a single white. He was very frugal with his money, and he took care of his mom, and they, they actually complimented him. This guy and him and his mom both got murdered. But uh, they complimented him because he went to church every day. There was always something for him to do at church. And he taught the Sunday school class. And I thought, wow, at least on this one detective show, that's actually a compliment. Nowadays, in most circles of our media, they find out you go to church once a week, let alone every day during the week. It's like, well, Domestic terrorists, you know, they got all kinds of bad names for us. And uh, but uh, I'm telling you, we're entrusted with the gospel, with the keys to the kingdom. When we preach the gospel, we're saying, look, we want to open up the gates of heaven for you. We want to share with you. The good news that the Lord Jesus, God, the son, became a man, died on the cross for our sins Bodily rose from the dead to conquer death for us, and he will return, and we want to share this with you. And the way you respond to it, you trust in Jesus alone for salvation. You acknowledge you're a sinner. You acknowledge you cannot save yourself. We've been entrusted with the kings to the, to the kingdom. Now, I used to witness to my parents left and right. all the My dad, it was hard to tell, you know, where he was, but he seemed to be a real Christ-centered guy and really seemed to have a vibrant faith in the Lord. Just in case, on his deathbed, I got on the phone and shared the gospel message one more time with him. My mom, every time I shared a gospel message with her, she'd throw a demonic fit, okay? But on her deathbed, she was asking. She said she had disowned me when I left the Catholic church, and I didn't know what that meant, because she still talked to me. What it meant was she would never mention me by name. So she told her, she asked once, I when she found out I started a church, she said, well, what kind of church, I'm going to clean up the language here, but what kind of church did you start? And uh, I said, uh, a non-denominational church. She said, what the heck is that? And, um, and she didn't use the word heck. And, um, and uh, I said, well, we're kind of like the Baptist. So from that day forward, she talked to her friends. She referred to me as the Baptist minister from Washington State. Okay. So I know the day she was dying, She was asking to speak to the bishop, the Baptist minister from Washington State. I got to talk to her. They said she was incoherent, but she was grunting and groaning. She got louder and louder the more I shared Jesus with her. Why do I do that? Because I'm special? No. But I got something special. I got the keys of the kingdom. So do you you know what what if you you had a buddy and he locked his keys in the car and he's asking you for help, and he doesn't remember, but you remember that he lent you one of his keys one day, so you got the keys in your pocket that can open the door for him. Are you going to just not tell him? and just let them sweat it out. If you got the key that opens the door, why are you keeping it to yourself? But that's what we do. I'm your pastor. That's what I do a lot. Okay? Um, bumped into two guys at Walmart the other day, and one had a Philadelphia Eagles shirt. He was like my kind of guy, you know? Young, athletic. T- well, young. <laughs> you're thinking. I put, I put it this way. This guy's like, under 50, okay? And, uh, and he had a Philadelphia Eagles shirt, so I, we just started shooting a breeze about football. And he went on, great guy. And then this old guy said, I recognize your voice. I listen to your and he was a veteran and stuff. And he said, I, I, listen, I watch your television show on a local access station and stuff. I like your preaching and this and that. And so we got to really talking about the Lord and the game of cards to the church. And, You know, smuggled in the gospel message a few times. And he says his wife is really sold out to Jesus and the Bible. And he said he might visit us someday. But after he left, you know, you'd think I'd be rejoicing. But I thought, I thought I had way more in common with the first guy. But the first guy, we were talking football. Philadelphia Eagle football. I don't even like the Eagles. Okay? And uh, I had the keys to my kingdom. Guess what? I must have kept the keys in my pocket. Now, I don't know, maybe maybe it was God's doing. Maybe the guy wasn't ready to hear it, and the second guy was. I don't know, but I sure wish we could have talked a little bit more about the Lord. But, you know, my parents, my siblings, my neighbors, my, my, my co-workers, I know there was a real influential guy. who was my mother's cousin. And was, you know, one of the underbosses for the Genovese family out of New York and um, found out at my mom's funeral the reason why he never tried to recruit me and my brother Mark. We were troublemakers. We were idiots. But he never tried to recruit us out of respect for my dad. My dad was a man of character, traditional Roman Catholic, I think a Christ-centered Catholic. and, And out of respect for him, he told his guys, nobody messes with the priest boys. They used to call my dad the priest because he had been a Franciscan monk, five separate one-year vows. And I, I don't know. I cannot tell you. This is kind of confession to you. I kind of felt like I had found out that he was had moved to Florida after he got out of prison the last time and was living out his final days in Florida. And I thought I should go to Florida someday and visit him and uh, thank him for respecting my dad and not trying to recruit me and my brother Mark. Me and my brother Mark agreed we would we would have taken the offer. You know, when you're doing disorganized crime, the offer of organized crime with mafia lawyer protection, it's a tough, tough offer to turn down. And, um, and I thought maybe I could go and thank him and share the gospel message with him. And, but I never did, and then I found out he died. This was years ago. Well, why would I even think such a thing? And I'm not sure. To this day, I'm not sure. Maybe God didn't want me there. But but maybe God put it on my heart and I was disobedient. But why would I even think of such a thing? You know why I would think of such a thing? Because Jesus gave me the keys for the kingdom. Now, we leave this building and we walk around town or whatever, Let's say you're like me and my wife. We like eating at fancy restaurants like Denny's. Weekday, it's McDonald's drive-thru, but on weekends, it's Denny's. And uh, people bump into the people, look and say, look at that guy. Look at that guy and that gal. What powerful people. They have the keys of the kingdom. No, they just think we're regular people. The only way they're going to know that we have the keys to the kingdom you gotta talk Jesus with them. We gotta talk Jesus with them. Most of it, we most of us, we're all cowards to one degree or another. I can give you illustration after illustration of my cowardice throughout my life, both before and after I got saved. Um so we don't always have that boldness. Um sometimes we just wanna be accepted by others. We don't want to rock the boat. But remind yourself that just as Paul and his team were entrusted with the gospel, we're also entrusted with the keys to the kingdom. I remember that. God, but believe me, if you get in the spirit, you start your day in prayer and devotional Bible study, maybe a little praise and worship. You know, I stopped that when they, when they uh, abolished the uh, audio cassettes. DVDs were too complicated for me to use and now it's all on the Internet and stuff like that, but maybe starting with a little praise and worship each day. There's certain things, if you do, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll be controlled with the Holy Spirit. So make it natural to walk in the supernatural because there's going to be some people God's going to say, talk to him about my son. And, it oh, by the way, it doesn't always... Some of the people that you would look and say, I will never preach the gospel to him. God put it on my heart. You talk to that guy, even though he's got prison tattoos on his neck. Okay? That was in North Carolina. And uh, um, and other times, he'd be saying, this is a really good person. I bet they're open to Jesus, and it might just be a Pharisee. But we've got to be filled with the Spirit so the Holy Spirit will let you know. I say God bless you to everybody. After COVID, I say God bless you and be safe. And um, meaning be safe from the government. But uh, uh, but uh, to some people, I think God's telling me, you need to talk more. And there's other people, God just telling me, just be nice to them, but shut up. Don't say anything. This guy, you're going to just push him further away. And so all I can say is, you got to walk in the spirit. Let the Holy Spirit leave you. But Paul and his team, they were approved by God entrusted with the gospel, the keys of the kingdom. Uh, I mean, if the church doesn't share Jesus with us, we, 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 we think the atheists are going to do it? And so Paul and his team preached the gospel, not to please men or become popular, but to please God who tests our hearts. So we want to preach Jesus, and we want to do it for the right motives. What's the right motive? Because we love God with everything we got, and we love our neighbors as ourselves. Look at Galatians chapter one, verse ten. Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter one and verse ten. Paul was refuting a false gospel, and um, and he knew he wasn't going to be popular for doing it. And he says, for do I now persuade men, Galatians 1.10, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So Paul understood, and the American church does not understand. you got to pick which side you're on. Okay? This idea that you can please men and please God at the same time. Yeah, that was in in grandpa's America. America's been the great exception. Where you can love Jesus and people would applaud you. Okay? Those days are gone. Okay? A lot of pastors of big churches are going to have to decide too, by the way, because if they're building their own kingdom, it's going to be coming down. And they're gonna to have to choose do I please men and keep the business running? Or do I please God and our church has to go underground? Um but things things are getting getting tough. We're not here to please men. You got you gotta decide do I wanna please man or do I want to please God? Okay? You gotta decide which side you're on. Make the decision now. Okay? Don't wait till till they put a gun to your head and say, deny Jesus. You got to make that decision now. You decide when days are good to live for Jesus, so when things get bad, you'll be willing to die for him. Okay? Sell out for Jesus now. Don't be like you're doing your own thing, building your own kingdom, and saying, when things get hot in the kitchen, well, you wait and see. I'm going to turn that light switch on. I'm telling you, sometimes people turn their light switch on, nobody's home, okay? Paul and his team preached the gospel not to please men or become popular, but to please God who tests our hearts. Now, what is the gospel? If you have time, just just look up 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 8. Paul explains what the gospel is. A lot of people think the gospel is trusting Jesus for salvation, That's not the gospel. That's our response to the gospel. The gospel is the good news, what God did. Okay? What is the gospel? The gospel, Paul says, is that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, died on the cross for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, to Peter, and the apostles, and then he gives a summary list of the appearances, uh, post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. The, the, the gospel message is basically the incarnation, God the Son becoming a man, the death, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, the death, resurrection, and return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what should our response be to this? the good news? Okay, there is a way out. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I don't want to be tormented in hell forever and ever. I'm going to turn to Jesus for salvation. Okay? And so we often confuse our response to the gospel with the gospel. Uh, Paul would preach the gospel. He had the keys to the kingdom, and so he would preach the death and resurrection of Jesus to save us. And then hopefully the people would respond the way the Thessalonians did. Not the Thessalonians that tried to whoop Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Paul and Silas had to flee. Uh, But the Thessalonians who trusted in Jesus for salvation. So you got to choose. We all got to choose. You know, we got the keys to the kingdom. What are we going to do with the keys? Are we going to keep it to ourselves or are we going to share Jesus What else? Are we going to preach the gospel? You want to preach the gospel? It's not going to make you popular with man, but we preach the gospel to please God, who, by the way, tests our hearts. So it's not just what we do. It's also why we do it. Why do you share Jesus with us? I have to admit, when I first got saved, I shared Jesus with everybody, okay? But for the first couple months, I was just kind of of keeping track, you know, another notch in the gun and, Say, another one got him to say the sinner's prayer. And um, and most of the guys, you know, they'd cry, say the sinner's prayer. And these were Marines. And two weeks later, they'd be right back in the world. Okay? Um, But you don't preach Jesus to get bragging rights. You preach Jesus because you love him. And you love the Father. And you love the Holy Spirit. And you love mankind. Even that grouchy guy you're witnessing to. But God tests our hearts. So Paul said, I got a ministry of boldness and integrity. Do you have a ministry of boldness and integrity? You know, I mean, by the way, you you might sit there and think, yeah, Pastor Phil, you got a, a ministry of boldness and integrity. Yeah, when I'm behind the pulpit. How's my ministry of Boldness and integrity, love and unselfishness, blameless behavior. How is it when some guy's acting up in my classroom at Crosspoint, or uh, when uh, somebody uh, what did I was driving into Walmart, and I was real careful around the the crosswalk, driving into the Walmart parking lot, and um, but then I started speeding up a little bit, still way under the speed limit. And a lady and her daughter were walking by, and so I stopped short. Just, just out of, just came right out of the, some row, and I was like, you know. So I just, just slammed on the brake. Man, that lady gave me this glare, you know. And the old Phil Fernandez was like, felt like rolling that one. You got a husband, you know. Me and him could talk, you know. And it's just like, it's like just keep your mouth shut. But it's just like. Do I have a ministry of blameless behavior, love, and unselfishness, boldness, and integrity when I'm at Walmart? You know, even at at Kinko's, I had to get so many things done, church things done at Kinko's. And after a while, I was like, am I asking these people for a favor? Because I'm like a high-maintenance guy when I walk into Kinko's. You know, I'm always putting my USB in the thing at the wrong time and the credit card in at the wrong time. I'm high maintenance, and I was like, "Am I am I bossing them around, or am I just asking for help in, in a nice, gentle way?" So I had to do some repair work there and thank the people and stuff, and tell them I appreciate their work. And they were looking at me like, "This dude is weird," you know. And uh, but we're supposed to be weird. <coughs> you meet Jesus. You're not supposed to be like who you were anymore. You meet Jesus, you're not supposed to be like the people who didn't meet Jesus. We're supposed to be a strange and peculiar people, Peter says. You know, I mean, one of the biggest, back in the 70s, well, I didn't get saved in the 70s, but in the early 1980s when I got saved, one of the biggest compliments somebody could pay me was to call me a Jesus freak. I thought, what an honor. What an honor to be called a Jesus freak. Sad thing is, is I've given so little evidence that I'm fanatical about Jesus, that I'm a Jesus freak. I've given lots of evidence. You know this, Rory. You know this, brother. I've given lots of evidence of being a raider fanatic, a raider freak. I got to start giving some more evidence that I'm a Jesus freak. Paul says, look, I got a ministry of boldness and integrity, but also a ministry of love and unselfishness, verses 5 to 9. For neither at any time do we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. What is he talking about? We're going to look at that. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes, cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. For laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preached to you, the gospel of God. He's saying a lot there. He starts out by saying he didn't use flattering words. Don't when you witness to somebody, don't say, look, man, you you really got it together. You're really so squared away. If you would come to Christ, God will give you such a powerful man. Let me tell you, God doesn't need I don't care, I don't care if it's like these big name superstar athletes. You think God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? need some big celebrity, God's all-sufficient. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need, you know, the LeBron Jameses of this world. Okay? So don't think, well, if I flatter this guy, I might be able to lead him to Christ. You don't use flattering words. The most humiliating thing I was ever told was when an ex-convict explained the gospel message to me, and I was already... At that point, the Holy Spirit was drawing me. I was seeking God's truth, and he explained to me that uh, I needed to trust in Jesus for salvation, that I deserved all my life. All I've ever earned is the eternal flames of hell. It was humiliating to hear that. But it was true. We got a culture that needs truth. You want to go out and tell lies? Culture's got plenty of them. we got a culture that needs truth and humiliating truth. It wasn't flattering telling me that I deserve the flames of hell. Then I even told the guy, I said, look, i got to straighten out a few things in my life. Then I'll come to Christ. I thought, you know, if I accept Jesus, if I trust him for salvation right now, you know, I didn't know anything. I thought, I'm going to sin tomorrow, so I'm going to lose it. So I need to straighten myself up. And he said, "No, no, you got to come to God just as you are, and then He'll start the process of cleaning you up." Okay, and um, but that wasn't flat. I didn't get any flattering words there. Oh, you'd be such an asset to God's kingdom. So it's like, look, you know, Saul was such a tall, mighty warrior. God didn't need him. Eliab, David's brother, big and buffed. God didn't need him. God wants to kill a blaspheming Philistine giant. He could take a little teenage shepherd boy. And go kill a giant on that day. That's the thing that amazes me. God desires to use me to serve in his kingdom and to build his kingdom. He desires to use all of us to serve in his kingdom and to build in his kingdom. And guess what? He doesn't need any of us. You know, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do very little. No, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Until you realize you bring nothing to the table. God can't use you in a powerful way. And um, Paul didn't use flattering words. He's not going to persuade people through deception, okay? And Paul's team did not covet. You know, 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. Desire things that weren't his. They didn't covet. They didn't even seek money. And they didn't seek glory from men. We looked at that with Galatians 1.10. You want glory from men? or you want to please God. You can't do both. But Paul, he didn't even demand his rights as an apostle. Okay, look at look at uh, Acts six one to four. His rights as an apostle. What does that all mean? Acts chapter six. One to four. Now this was the Jewish church. This is the early. This is even before Paul got saved. Okay. Now, in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. What that means is the Jewish-speaking Jews who became Christians were doing a better job feeding their Hebrew-speaking Jewish Christian widows They were feeding them more, and they were neglecting the Greek-speaking Jewish widows who converted to Christianity. Now, is that important? Yes. Elderly ladies who might starve to death because the church is looking the other way? That's very important. Had a brother before the service. Notice that there's another Christian brother that hadn't been here for a few weeks we got to do it. we got to reach out to them, okay? we got to care about one another. So that's important. Verse 2, then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Well, that's a lesson for the American church. As important as it is to feed the hungry, the most important thing is proclaiming, studying, and proclaiming the word of God. Okay. Verse three, therefore brethren seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy spirit and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay. You realize it, it probably takes a good six to 10 hours to prepare a good solid biblical sermon. Okay. And, uh, And hopefully there's a lot of prayer as well that goes into it. But Paul is saying, look, as the right of, I have the rights of the apostle. I have the right to dedicate my life to the word of God and prayer, yet I didn't exercise that right. Okay? Uh, In America today, uh, I think 80% of Baptist ministers are bivocational. And it just, it's just, it's kind of, that's the way, it was kind of the way it was in Thessalonica. When the gospel wasn't, hadn't been preached there before, now Paul preaches there. It's like, you know what? They're new believers. They don't understand it. I'm not going to demand that they pay uh, my bills. I'm going to tent make on the side. And uh, sometimes Timothy and Silas would show up in town and they do the tent making, and then it would free Paul. To just preach full time, but Paul said, "Look, I, I didn't demand my rights as an apostle. They're really spelled out. It's a prolonged passage, First Corinthians nine, one to eighteen, and and the, the reason why Paul didn't exercise his rights as an apostle with the Corinthians just because you have a right." or freedom in Christ, or a right to do something doesn't mean you should do it, okay? The gospel has to come first. I've got relatives that make good money, and if I probably asked them for donations, they'd probably send some money our church's way. But they're not where they need to be with the Lord, and I don't want that to get in the way. Their salvation is way more important to me than getting a, an extra donation for our ministry here, okay? And that's the way it was with the Corinthians. They were so um, selfish and immature. And then they ended up turning around and acting like, well, Paul's not that important. We didn't even pay him, you know? And um, But Paul did not demand his rights as an apostle And so look at 1 Corinthians 9, 1 to 18. Now, with the Corinthians, it was because they were babes in Christ, but they shouldn't have been. Paul preached there for two years. With the Thessalonians, they were just babes in Christ. They were just brand new, okay? It wasn't really their fault yet. With the Corinthians, it was their fault. 1 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 1, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? You know, the Lord appeared to him risen from the dead, Uh, are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. See, Paul, when he was going to, his bragging rights weren't his, his degrees on the wall. They were the people whose lives he impacted through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, my defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So Peter and even Jesus' half-brothers and the other apostles, they all had the right that whenever they went around preaching, they had the right to bring uh, a believing wife with them at the expense of the churches they were ministering to. In verse 6, Paul said, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? See, the thing, one of the big differences between Paul and Barnabas and their ministry to the Gentiles and Peter and the brothers of the Lord and the original apostles, they were ministering to the Jews. And the Jews already had um, thousands of years of respect for their spiritual leaders. Okay? Okay. Whereas with the Gentile pagans, you're starting with a pretty rough crowd, okay? And, um, and Paul said, look, I, we got the right to bring along a believing wife with us. Uh, verse 7, who, whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock, do I say these things as a mere man or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? So in other words, he's saying, look, if I called somebody to preach the word, why in the world would I want to muzzle the ox? Okay? Let me tell you, if I'm going to proclaim God's truth to you, I better have spent some good time up on top of Mount Sinai. I better be a man of prayer and studying God's word so that when I come down with Mount Sinai, you don't get the words and the teachings of Phil Fernandez, you get the word and the teachings of God. That's not what we want nowadays. We want full time counselors, full time administrators, full time CEOs. Paul in Titus 1 9 says that the local church pastor needs to be able to not only exhort or encourage and sound doctrine, but refute those who contradict, okay? Um, And when you live in a culture that doesn't cherish the word of God, you're going to find the high percentage of your ministers are going to be bivocational. I praise God because I was full-time for five years. And it was tough to pay the bills, and there was a lot of counseling that was going on. We were a younger church back then, and um, uh, now I just, all I do is just teach and preach the Word of God because I get to teach Bible at a Christian high school. So God has blessed me. And the people here have treated me incredibly well. But Paul's saying, look, you know, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm not encouraging you to to cut out my salary, but... I'd be be honest with you, if I didn't get paid for it, I'd still preach Jesus. Because if God's called you to preach, it ain't about the money. Paul says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Jeremiah said, I want to stop preaching in your name because they keep whooping me. But he said, but your word is like a fire in my bosom. I tried to keep it in, but I couldn't. God called you to preach, you're going to preach even if you can't quit your day job. But Paul, Paul is an apostle. I mean, he's not just an elder, a pastor in a church. This is an apostle. And uh, and so verse 10, Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, he also mentioned this in Galatians 6, six. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? So, you know, I mean, if you're going to get a surgeon to perform surgery on your heart, are you going to tell him, say, hey, you know, I don't like how much it cost, even with my health insurance. Could you do it for nothing? No, you can say, hey, This guy's saving my physical life. But then we expect people to perform surgery on our spiritual hearts, and we don't think it's worth anything in this culture. Paul says this, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? So he's he's saying, you know, Peter came by, Apollos came by, maybe they accepted money when they preached in Corinth. That's fine. I chose not to exercise that right. So Paul says, nevertheless, we have not used this right. See, they had the right, but they chose not to use it, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. See, he knew if he accepted money from the Corinthians, they would have said he's just in it for the money. So He says, I don't want to be a hindrance to Christ. I'm going to preach for free. And here the Apostle Paul, you know, you go back, if we were able to go back 2,000 years and see the Apostle Paul, we'd probably find him building tents. Timothy and Silas show up, and all of a sudden, Paul's working part-time, okay? As the church matures, maybe Paul's preaching full-time, okay? Uh, But do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. At this point, that's mainly the apostles and all, but Paul is going to get to the point 10 years later where even he's going to even say that elders, local church pastors, are worthy of double honor. And uh, But I use none of these things, nor I have written these things, that if if it should be done, so to me, for it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my, my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I'm hoping you go to bed at night and you say that. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Maybe you don't preach the gospel in a loud way like a preacher does. Some of you preach the gospel in a quiet, soft way. Well, my dad was a quiet man. Some people preach the gospel in a quiet, soft way. But I hope you go to bed tonight and every night and you wake up in the morning and you say, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I hope and pray that for you to not preach Jesus would be like a fish out of water. Because he's the reason why we breathe. He's the reason why we live. He's the reason why we have hope. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For I do, if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I be, have been entrusted with a stu- stewardship. It's hard to preach Jesus when people are bouncing rocks off your head. So what makes we Americans think, I'll preach Jesus when people throw rocks at us, when right now you could preach Jesus without the rocks? Okay, we got to get in the habit of preaching Jesus now. What is my reward then? Then when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. And so Paul was saying that to the Thessalonians. He said, look, I I loved you so much and was so unselfish that even though I have the rights of an apostle, I did not demand those rights. And I preach the ministry of love and unselfishness. Now we're going to pick it up there next week. But what about you? You might say, well, Pastor Phil, I'm not the Apostle Paul. I know you're not the Apostle Paul. I'd be sweating right now if you were. Okay? In fact, if the Apostle Paul were here, I'd sit down and say, Paul, take the pulpit. I know you're not the Apostle Paul. guess what? I'm not the Apostle Paul. I'm Joe and Angie's little boy, all right? But Jesus saved me. And when he saves us, he changes us, and he gives us gifts, and he calls us into ministry. If you see a non-Christian psychologist and you tell him, I'm on a mission from God, the guy's going to think you're crazy, okay? But if you tell your pastor that you're not on a mission from God, I'm going to tell you, you're crazy. You got a ministry, okay? And hopefully, it's a ministry of boldness, integrity, love, unselfishness, and of blameless behavior. If you want to know, you know, well, what is my mission field? Just just list the friends, and the relatives, and your neighbors, and your coworkers, or your classmates that look up to you for spiritual advice. That's your mission field. So if you're, if you're saved and you tell me, uh, Pastor Phil, I want a ministry, all you're telling me is you're not intentionally serving in the ministry you already have. And we all want to think big. It's like, I don't have a ministry. I don't preach the football stadiums filled with people. I'm telling you where the real action is occurring is when one or two people are discipling One or two people. The power power that Trinity Bible Fellowship has is not being unleashed from this pulpit. The power is what you do with it. Who are you from Monday to Saturday, brothers and sisters? Who's in your mission field? And are you serving them with the gifts God has given you? Do you have a ministry of boldness, integrity, love, unselfishness, and blameless behavior. If not, confess your sin to the Lord and ask the Lord Jesus to call you to higher ground. I got a guy, guy that doesn't even know me, just listened to my stuff online, sent me a Facebook thing about to aim, encouraging me to aim higher. Aim higher. I don't know what that means other than I'm just going to ask Jesus. Jesus, take me to higher ground. And by the way, Usually he's got to whoop you before you get to higher ground. If you want more opportunity to serve Jesus, he's, he's just like, well, okay, well, then I got to make you the kind of guy or the kind of gal you need to be. I got to make some changes in your life. I'm going to ruffle some of your feathers. But we got to aim higher. and We got to have that ministry of love and unselfishness. There's people dependent on you right now. And you might be letting them down. I might be letting them down. I don't care what this world says. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. I will serve the crucified, risen king of kings until he returns in glory. He is my God and he is good. Let's let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you, Lord, that you used Paul and guided him to record your word without error, but you also used him to set an example for us, that we're all ministers. We've all been given the gospel, the keys to the kingdom. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be bold in our ministry, that we'd be people of integrity, people of truth in our ministry, that we would be loving and unselfish, and that we would be blameless in our ministry. Show us, Lord, the gifts that we have. Give us the desire to serve you and to serve others with the gifts that you have given us, not for our glory and not to please man, but for your glory and to please you. Help us, Lord, to use the gifts you've given us to build your kingdom, not our own kingdom, but to build the kingdom of God. May we be faithful. You've always been faithful to us, Lord. Even before we knew you, you were faithful to us. Even when we didn't sense your presence, you've been faithful to us. Help us to be faithful to you. Empower us to be faithful to you. Until that day when your son, the lamb who was slain, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, until that day when he returns and takes his stand upon the earth to make things right. To King Jesus be all the glory and honor in his kingdom. In Jesus' precious name we pray.